Welcome to Gen Z Talks. This is your host, Ryan Solomon, the head of community and content at Entra. At Entra, we built a social network for entrepreneurs, investors, creators, and freelancers. Every week, this show is recorded live on Entra, and I get to interview the most ambitious and young entrepreneurs and investors from around the world. And if you'd like to be a part of our next episode of Gen Z Talks, maybe even get to come up on stage and ask a question, make sure to head over to joinentra.com and register for Gen Z Talks. Now that that's out of the way, it's time to kick things off. Let's go. Super excited to kick things off. Rohit and then Samir, if you guys want to introduce who you are, what you're building, what you're doing, and kind of just lay out the groundwork. Are we? Thanks, Ryan. Really excited to be here. Uh, hey, everyone. So my name is Rohit. And I am a crypto founder. So my journey into entrepreneurship started back in 2010. Uh, my first company was about building an Instacart for India. Uh, then I moved on to gaming in 2013, uh, built and bootstrapped a mobile gaming company to 3 million users. And then in 2017, I got into crypto and started this company called Mudrex, which helped people invest in crypto while minimizing the crypto volatility risk. And five months back, I also started another project in the decentralized finance called Mesh Finance. And Mesh Finance is a community on a mission to bring decentralized finance benefits to everyone. And luckily we have Jeremy, who is uh, again, one of the contributor, one of the community leader at Mesh Finance. So yeah, this is about me. I'm, I'm more of a decentralized maximalist these days, uh, happy to I chat on further on what we are building. We're definitely going to dive into crypto and DeFi as a whole. So I'm super excited for it. And Samir, do you like to share a little about what you're doing, what you're building? Sure, sure. I'm happy to. So, hey everyone, my name is Samir. I'm the founder of Burst. We're a new uh, bank for the Robinhood generation, our Gen Z. Um, we are built on, on DeFi and that's how we're able to provide um, ten percent return. Um, we're 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 building a, uh, a a a fintech product that is basically makes it really easy and safe for for our generation to earn more using DeFi. Um, my background, um, I am actually a senior at Purdue University in Indiana, originally from the Bay Area. I'm really excited to be working on Burst and happy to share more about DeFi crypto and um, kind of some trends we've been seeing um, seeing today. So I'll pass it back over uh, to Ryan. Amazing. Um, so one of the things I wanted to, to jump into, what I'm thinking is kind of tackling some of the issues that you guys face so far as founders and then kind of jumping into more of the broader side of things on fintech. Because um, one of the things with fintech specifically is it's definitely regulated. Um, obviously crypto is still kind of the wild west and the SEC is trying to figure out what the hell to do with it, especially as we saw with like Coinbase and a lot of other, uh, companies kind of getting tackled by the SEC. What kind of regulations have, it's obviously going to be interesting that Rohit's here because he's over in India. Um, what kind of regulations have faced or hurdles that you might even face that you would suggest that early stage founders, uh, that are trying to get into fintech are aware of or are looking out for? Yeah, so uh, Mudrex is also a US-based firm. Uh, we are a Delaware Corp uh, firm. Uh, so in the earlier phase, like we 
had to make sure that if we are going to held custody of the funds, then we are going to get into a lot of regulatory hurdle. Like we, we have to go behind the regulators, get a lot of licenses. So at that point of time, we consciously made this decision that whatever product we will make, it will be non-custodial kind of a platform. And the quickest route for us was to depend on exchanges to do the custody part. So as a result, we are integrated with multiple top exchanges, including Coinbase for the US users. And what users do at Mudrex is they just connect their Coinbase account with the Mudrex via the API keys. So that's how like, like whenever you get into the, the regulatory part of this, majority of the conflicts come when you are actually holding the funds on behalf of the user. So we have avoided that uh, in the uh, startup phase because like you don't want to spend a lot of your energy dealing with regulators in the earlier phase. And now since we have grown decently well, uh, like we've got backing from few of the top institutions, top investors across the world, including Y Combinator, Village Global, uh, all these investors. Now we are looking at solving all this regulatory hurdle, which involves getting advisory licenses, getting custody licenses, and all, all the complicated stuff. And with that too, is it relatively expensive? And Samir, you can touch on that too, getting all of that regulation work. I'm sure you probably have like lawyers on your team as well. Yeah. So depending on what uh, regulatory bodies you are touching or, or what areas you are touching, it, it can get quite expensive, uh, specifically targeting on crypto and in US. So the biggest complication happens whenever you are into trading. So broker dealer licenses are one of the most expensive. Uh, first of all, they are hard to get. They take the most time to get. Like it, it can take up to six months to 12 months to even get uh, these broker dealer licenses. And second, like they also have the highest running cost to maintain. Like there, there is a huge running compliances which you need to follow. If you come down the ladder, then you have custody licenses. Like whenever you are having uh, an investment product, so you are basically handling other people's money. So you need advisory licenses. Usually those are cheaper. So uh, on a scale, like a uh, broker dealer might cost you anywhere from like half a million to a couple of million dollars, uh, depending on which geography you are serving. Like New York one will be the most expensive. Uh, the advisory licenses can cost anywhere around like 100K. And then you will have some cost from the lawyer's perspective as well. So depending on like what specific purpose you are solving or what specific licenses you need, it, it might get quite expensive as well. Got it. That's ridiculous. Samir? Yeah. Yeah. I think, think I echo all the points that uh, Rohit said, but um, I think the two organizations that you don't want to mess with are, of course, um, SEC and, and then FinCEN, which is the uh, Financial uh, Crimes Enforcement Network. And um, for us, uh, for Burst, we're, we're uh, moving money between uh, two different parties. And so we, we have to, you know, work around this kind of money transmitter or money service business uh, regulations. Um, I will have to say a lot of these you know, regulations, I think they're just starting to be figured out in navigating uh, in the world of DeFi and crypto. I think if you're building a pure fintech product in the, in the past, in, in the recent years, I think it's gotten a lot easier to just launch stuff, uh, you know, whether it's a card product or a... Um, or even a, even a lending product. I think like the, the regulatory piece, a lot of different fintech companies have done it. I think it made it easy to do just because so many neo banks were, were doing it. But I think 
when to step in the world of DeFi. I think that's where it gets a little bit more tricky. And uh, to your point, Ryan, yeah, we have uh, quite a few lawyers, I think, figuring out um, what's going on and how to, how to make sure that we're compliant with all the rules and then we're prepared for any kind of worst case events there, there are. And to that point, what, um, like, let's say I want to start a FinTech company today. What would be your like bulleted pieces of advice? Like make sure you're going to go visit, like make sure you get a lawyer or make sure you check out this website that has all the regulations laid out. Is there like any resource that you would suggest that people check out? You know, I, I don't know any specific resources. Um, I previously worked at, uh, Porsche credit. I was a PM there. They're a, they're a FinTech, um, firm. Um, well, I think the best thing you can do is talk to other founders. I think that's where you'll get the most uh, depth and, and visibility into all the areas that, that folks need to be worried about early on. Right. I, I think Samir covered it well. I don't think there are any specific resources and also like, I can't comment specifically for us, but like in India, usually entrepreneurs follow this philosophy, build first and figure it out later. And no regulator is going to trouble you when you are small. Once you know, okay, this thing is working, you have product market fit. That's when maybe you can start spending more time on figuring out the regulatory stuff. Uh, again, that's not a legal advice, but like that's, that's the philosophy most of the fintech entrepreneurs follow in India. That makes a lot of sense. Definitely just build and figure it out as you go. Uh, I think that's, a, that's definitely aligns to a lot of founders. Um, and then I had to go a little bit into the fundraising side of things. So Rudy, I know you've raised funding for Murdex. Samir, I believe you're going to be raising a pre-seed or seed round soon. Um, so we're going with Rohit first. Uh, Rohit, what was that fundraising process like uh, for you and raising money? Um, maybe what kind of backlash did you get for, not backlash, I'd say like criticism from VCs, maybe ones that are trying to poke holes. Um, and what was your, your process like overall for fundraising? Yeah. So, uh, I will say for the seed stage in generally what matters most to investors is the team and the market. Rest of the things, most of the investors believe that if there is a smart team and if they are targeting a big market, they are going to figure it out. So for us, the pre-seed round was a little easy because we raised funds from people I already knew throughout my entrepreneurship career. So you can say I built up credibility and because of that, people backed in the pre-seed round. Then the next round of funding for us was, which was also the pre-seed only, was getting backing from Y Combinator. Once you get Y Combinator's backing, you get this insane credibility in front of all the global investors. And that's when like we started getting attention from all the top funds. But throughout the whole 2019, the biggest worry for us was that crypto was actually going through the most bear cycle. Uh, Bitcoin price was like literally $3,000, which was the bottom for the whole last three years. So during that time, we had a lot of issues raising funds, but we raised small amount of capital so, so that we could keep building the product. And the good part about that was like, we always kept our focus on the revenue. And by 2020, like we had our revenue pipeline pretty healthy. And by that time, market also started turning around. And that's when like, 
all things started coming together. And very recently, like we raised a $2.5 million round from investors like Nexus Venture Partners, uh, Village Global, Nawal Ravi Khan. And like within just five months, uh, this week, we also got a Series A term sheet. So it, it depends on market, how hot is the market you are building in, how big is that market, and also how strong is the founding team. Yeah, the team, every, every VC I've ever talked to always says the team is the most important slide. Um, and I think the big, you touched on it really well saying that the team and then the market, because if you're in a good market and your team, like let's say your product might fail or might not go as well as planned, you can always pivot into something else within the same market if you're a good founder. There's plenty of incredible founders that have pivoted to something else or maybe something not even in the same market. Um, VCs are always betting on founders before the product. And Samir, yourself, oh, Primit, ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I think what what Roland mentioned was was uh, you know I echo everything that that he said. I think um, I'm a big advocate for accelerators, incubators. Uh, we went through Pair VC and they did our uh, pre-seed as well. We're we're raising our our seed next month. Demo day is coming up in. In, a, in about three weeks, I'm super excited about about that. But um, yeah, I, I am a big advocate for being an accelerator program. I think that you get a lot of visibility, attention, and help. I think Y Combinator is is amazing. Um, I think Pair, Pairs Accelerator is is one of the one of the best. You get a lot of attention from partners um, who are past operators. There's only about 15 teams in the cohort, and um, they fund um, 500k. So it's it's a really great opportunity for for any founder um, looking to start something new. I think in the FinTech and specifically DeFi crypto space, I've been seeing a lot of VC firms uh, pivot into crypto. Folks that never never kind of touched crypto before, they're now looking for a deal flow. They're now looking to get their hands on more crypto firms. I think that's that's probably because, uh, you know, just over the past year, we've seen so much increase in total value locks um, in DeFi, you know, we've seen like MetaMask wallets grow to over 10 million. We've seen OpenSea grow to uh, over 200,000 um, active users. And it's like really, there's a huge boom going on. I think VCs want to get in on that. So I think now might even be a, a, a much easier time to get money in DeFi and crypto space just because there's so many, uh, so many investors looking to, to, to get, get in, get in different rounds. Also, just just to add on that, uh, like not not sure if a lot of people are familiar with how DeFi projects raise funding. So now we are entering into a new era of raising through token offering, and I think that have made fundraising a lot easier for the crypto companies at least. And the reason for that is uh, from it, it it basically aligns interest for everyone for investors. They can invest into something which can be liquid in a very short period of time, like six to 12 months, which used to be like, if, if you were investing in a traditional equity, probably you were waiting for like eight years, five years kind of a time period to actually make your investment liquid. Uh, and at the same time for founders, it becomes easier because they can actually raise funds from all over the globe by selling their tokens. Uh, again, the complication could be in terms of regulatory, but a uh, few of the firms from US have actually raised by doing token offering. So I think that that again opens up a very new paradigm of fundraising for the early stage founders. What was the financial vehicle called that you had mentioned for that? 
So usually you use soft, so just like safe, which is simple agreement mm-hmm. for future equity. Here you do a simple agreement for future token. And what you give to the investor is a token of your network instead of an equity. And then that token itself represents the whole uh, value proposition you are providing. So there might be some utility of that token because of which that token itself occurs value. And since uh, investors are holding tokens, they can sell those tokens to to the later on participants into that network. Mm, interesting. It probably makes it easier and like less regulation than selling actual securities. Mm. That is super interesting. It's about something I had thought about. Um, I'm definitely going to, my prediction is we're going to start seeing firms investing in uh, startups using actual just crypto. And I think it would make even more sense. Like if you are a crypto based startup and you're raising funds, why not raise $10 million worth of Ethereum? You know what I mean? Especially because a lot of times, a lot of these fintech companies need to hold a certain amount of the securities that they're selling. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, the next thing I wanted to jump into was whenever it comes to talent acquisition for fintech, because I feel like it's a very, it's a little bit more niche than just getting a general developer, because uh, fintech has a little bit more nuance. What has it been like for both of you guys finding technical talent as early stage founders? Uh, and have, how have you been able to get those early stage, uh, you know, first couple hires or maybe that CTO on board? Yeah. Uh, so for us, uh, like my, so we, we are four co-founders uh, and I, all of us are from the technological background. So luckily we didn't need to hire the CTO at the early stage, like one of the co-founders is CTO. So like we didn't have that absolute need of hiring someone extraordinary because like in, in within the team, we had extraordinary talent among the founders. Uh, after our seed round uh, is when we actually started looking for some serious talent. And I think the lucky thing was, again, since we are building in crypto, many folks are actually excited. Many devs are also excited about crypto and they want to join good crypto firms. So uh, as a result, like we have been able to hire really smart folks. Also, I think for us personally, since we are based out of India and India is known for dev talent, uh, it, it has been easier for us to hire the top quality dev talent out of India. Yeah, for, for us, our team is still uh, pretty small. We're, we're just about five people, but we're you know, same thing. We have, we have three co-founders um, and able to handle, I think, both the uh, CTO product role, uh, even design. Um, and so I think we have a really good founding team. And I think that should, that should uh, take us a long way as, as the company grows. Absolutely. Having a good core founding team uh, on both you guys is so, so important. Um, really, really huge, especially already having some form of a technical background or in its case, all of them having a technical background is absolutely huge. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, our CEO, Michael, uh, in the audience is actually non-technical, uh, civil engineer, but you know, doesn't code, uh, but was still able to put together an awesome, awesome team of technical talent. So it's definitely a really, really challenging thing. And one big thing that lots of founders face. Um, and now to kind of jump into a little bit on 
like your products and also some of your user acquisition strategies. So it's actually gonna be interesting because Rogate's a little further along in the journey that Sphere is. Um, so Rogate, you want to touch on the things that you've done well so far, or maybe the things that worked and things that didn't work. And Samir, you can kind of touch on the things that you're looking into doing or things you've seen that have worked. Rogate? Yeah. Uh, so uh, for for us, like, and I think like this, this will be a general thing for all the startups. Uh, the first set of investors, the first set of users you get is by actually talking to users for whom you think this product might be useful. And while you are speaking with those users, you kind of figure out, okay, like maybe my product needs a little bit of week before this person can use the product. And that's how we got our first hundred users. And uh, like, I still remember me and uh, another co-founder of mine, like we used to spend roughly seven to eight hours a day just talking to our users. And we started building this community over Discord. Uh, that's where like we used to have all the conversation with the user. Now the side effect of that happened was that first product started building in a right shape from day one. And also since we had this strong relationship with all these users, uh, these users started bringing the new set of users. And this is how like we got to 500 users by just word of mouth, these people bringing other people. And as we realized, like, this is how our user acquisition is happening because people are inviting their friends. We started working on building the in, uh, like in-system referral system, like where in the product, we have a credit kind of a system. And then whoever is a user, if they are inviting a friend, they get some form of credit and then they can use those credit within the uh, ecosystem we are building. So the benefit of that is first, uh, you don't want to give the cash to the end user because if you go and start giving cash, they, most of the time bad actors start exploiting this thing. Second, you want to incentivize people who are going to use your platform. So ultimately, if people are going to use your platform, they are going to pay. So if you can give them discount directly, then it's in their best interest. So this is how we have got, you can say today referral presents 40% of our user acquisition um, share. Then the second thing we realize is that ultimately referral is working because people are hearing it from their friends. So it is bringing trust within themselves, within the new users. So we thought like we can do the same thing by targeting influencers. So we recently started doing influencer marketing as well. And that's how we get roughly 30% of our users. And then the rest of the users we get by doing content marketing by organic Google search, et cetera. Really, really good. And one thing I did want to plug for, for both of you and also anyone else who's early stage founders uh, on the influencer side of things that our last event, when we talked about the creator economy, uh, the speaker had had Rachel Mang, uh, she actually manages, I don't even know, 10, 20, uh, TikTok creators that are all in the entrepreneur finance business space. Um, so I'm happy to make introductions to her. She's really, really awesome person to work with. Um, and somebody I'd suggest, uh, talking, so I can definitely make those interests for both of you guys. Definitely. That will be helpful. Amazing. And here. Yeah. Yeah, I know that, that would be, that'd be awesome, Ryan. And in terms of the customer acquisition, uh, the way we think about it is, um, I think for us, because we're targeting a much younger audience, um, as well as we're not targeting the, the, the crypto native, we're targeting folks that maybe have heard crypto or DeFi from maybe a coin friend or heard it on the internet, um, more in traditional, uh, more in maybe they're just typical 
typical folks who haven't maybe traded, traded a lot before in crypto. And so for them, we actually are taking a different approach by targeting um, different niches for influencers. And so we're looking to partner with kind of more micro-influencers between 10 and 50,000 followers on TikTok, Instagram, and uh, maybe in, in, in activities and, 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 and places where finance or decentralized finance or stock trading is not kind of top of mind for them. I think there are a lot of finance communities, but I think we want, really want to test if our product appeals to folks who have never got into this space before. And so that's so we're kind of looking to partner with it around 30 to 50 different influencers as we grow. Um, you know, I've, I've leveraged TikTok for, for previous product launches and it ended up uh, really well. But right now we're still in our earliest phases. And so should just next week, we're onboarding our first 20 users to, to the app. And so excited for that. But I think a long, long journey ahead of us on the customer acquisition side of things. That is super exciting to be doing that and onboarding those first users. And one of the things that Rogue touched on was having that community, uh, that Discord server and engaging with your uh, community is absolutely huge. Um, another thing I've actually seen or one of my friends had told me about is sponsoring servers, uh, finding already really active servers, and then you pay the host of that server um, to make a channel where it would be like 50% off burst or 20% off Murdex or whatever that is, um, where they just click on the server and there's one pin message there and they can just click the link. I never heard of that, but apparently it can be worth, worth the uh, bang for your buck. So I think that's really interesting. And also the other thing you touched on is having those one-on-one -on -one conversations with your potential customers. Uh, that's something that we've done over at Entrez. So for myself, I have account, everyone who joins Entrez can connect with me and then people can schedule meetings with me uh, directly on Entra or through my Calendly link, which is in my bio. So that's also a plug for anyone who's listening. Uh, if you want to talk shop for 30 minutes and pick my brain and learn anything new um, or to want any support. And then the other thing I wanted to mention to me is I also do have some creators that are probably in that space of like 10 to 50K on TikTok um, that are a little smaller, but they are in the business entrepreneur finance space. So I can definitely sift through my my network and see if I can get intros. Yeah, yeah, that would be, that'd be absolutely amazing. Thanks, Ryan. Absolutely. Um, and then... So as we're coming up on like the half hour, if anyone does have questions and wants to join us up on stage, um, don't hesitate to hit the little raise hand button and then I can bring you guys up on stage. Uh, happy to bring you up with any questions. Um, I also wanted to ask you guys for what is a piece of advice that you would give yourself? Actually, you no, know, sorry, we'll do, we'll do that later. Next question I want to ask is what are some trends in DeFi, FinTech as a whole? Um, that are really getting you excited. Uh, it can obviously, you can plug yourself in the things that you're working on, but maybe other projects that you're seeing, whether it be DAOs or, you know, different pro tech projects, uh, honestly, anything. Yeah, uh, thanks for asking that question, Ryan. Like, I, I personally spend a lot of time learning about all the things that has been happening in the space. And and to be honest, like, I can't even touch probably 10% of what things are ha actually happening in the space. The The most interesting stuff I'm excited about is probably everything in, in crypto that includes decentralized finance, which is that the foundation of that is bringing equal financial access 
for everyone and which is why uh, we founded Mesh Finance as well. The second thing I'm excited about is DAOs, uh, which I personally think is the future of work. This is how humans are going to coordinate with each other. This is how the labor economy is going to develop because it just brings better incentive alignment for everyone. It, it develops that humanity in a bottom-up approach instead of a top-down approach where everyone has a say, everyone gets equally treated. And then the third thing I'm excited about is NFTs, which is basically the culture part, which represent uh, what culture we are building, what ethos we are building. And this NFT thing opens up the whole different paradigm within the digital metaverse, which could be like, you can actually create different communities. And by when you hold an NFT, that basically means that you are part of that community. So NFTs are kind of, bringing economics to communities in, in a way like nfts are digital community economics that that's what nfts are bringing so these these are the things i am personally excited about and could you just touch on what a DAO is real quick because i've seen that turn around a lot um i have a basic understanding but i'd love for you to explain a little bit more yeah so the full form of a DAO is decentralized autonomous organization so uh imagine like for humans, the biggest power humans have compared to any other animals or species is like we can coordinate with each other. And the way we can coordinate with each other is like by having corporations, by having governments, uh, by having uh, in, in you, like in the past era, by having a religion where basically we are in, in collective, we are believing into something and we are working towards that belief. So in a corporation, you are working towards the mission of a company. Now the problem uh, in, in that society was like, uh, like for an example, in traditional corporation, most of the time, most of the benefits goes to the few stakeholders that will be the CEOs, that will be the investors, early investors of that company. And then when you hire an employee, you are basically renting their time. So there is a misalignment between however much uh, an employee output as a result his compensation is not kind of changing. There are obviously like some some structure to the compensation, which could be bonuses and all, but it doesn't change the economics much. In DAOs, what we are building is a decentralized way of coordinating among each other. So you are first setting up the values, the mission, like this is what we want to do as a community. Then anyone can come from any part of the world. They can start collaborating. They can start contributing to for this mission. And all the contributors then decide like how we are going to reward each other. So now you are not depending on one single entity or few individuals to decide how much you should be rewarded for your effort. So first of all, this brings better alignment, better reward mechanism. Second, usually you get rewarded in terms of tokens of that organization. So now you actually own the piece of what you are trying to build. So imagine it like a scalable way of uh, distributing ESOPs, the, the sweat equity to all, all the people who are working towards it. So it, it, it kind of like changes the whole dynamic of how the coordination happened. And also because like people choose a DAO because they first believe in the value system. Now they feel much happier working towards that because they are not coming working towards the DAO for the dollar or, or for any fiat currency instead of that they are actually coming to earn the token itself for that DAO. that basically means their incentives are much more aligned they will feel much more happier because they are working for something which they actually believe in 
super interesting stuff. Uh, I think the big theme I'm seeing with DeFi and crypto as a whole is accessibility uh, that we just didn't previously have in our financial systems uh, and more equity, equity, more equity, I guess, um, which I'm super excited for. And Samir? Yeah. Yeah. I think DAOs excite me so much. I have, um, I think there's going to be a whole new like DAO economy that, that is going to start to form with, where tools and startups and products were going to be built just for managing DAOs. I think what really excites me is when, when crypto and, and DeFi becomes uh, most accessible, I think a lot of users will not even know that they're, that they are, um, using like, uh, using, uh, using the blockchain. And I think there's this tweet, uh, this morning, um, from Chris Cantina, which, which I absolutely love, um, basically saying that you know, they don't need to know about the Ethereum, the smart contracts, NFTs or anything. They're just kind of focusing on the tangible benefits. And that's kind of really what we focused on at first, where we're just trying to provide what users really already want to do, which is save, invest, spend, um, and, and grow their money at the end of the day. And so by focusing on that without having to bring all of this jargon and all this complexity, I think that's where we're really going to see widespread adoption. And so products that, that help, help uh, users do that, I think are really cool. One that came out last week was like this whole uh, Spotify rival. Um, it's blockchain powered startup called, I think, Audius. Folks like Katy Perry, Jason Derulo, a lot of superstars are investing in it. And I think Chainsmokers, I think it's really cool because it allows um, fans to interact with, with the blockchain and be part of this new, new, new technology, but they don't really need to know how it works, yet they are reaping the benefits. And so I think that that is really cool to me. And I'm excited to see more products in that type of space. That is a really interesting way of putting it. Um, I think the greatest example of that is like, you don't need to know how servers and how the internet works, but everyone reaps the benefit of using it as we're talking on the internet right now. Uh, and, it, and it's just, just to yeah. add on that, Ryan, like what another interesting point which just came to my mind is like, uh, when, so for an example, like each one of us is using a social network, like Facebook, Twitter, etc., And all of them became bigger because like each, each one of these individual users join, join and like we form our own community on these social networks. So using this new paradigm, using the NFTs, using the DAOs, we are now actually giving power, the economic benefits of to these users as well at the same time. So for an example, like just this week, there is this uh, community called So Rare, uh, which is basically a football community and it, it's an NFT based project. They got uh, somewhere around like $700 million of funding from SoftBank. And what they are trying to do is like they are creating a community of football fans. And once you gather all the football fans into one server, then you are building things for the same uh, number of users. So since you are the person who are going to consume uh, anything that other developers built by taking the theme of football, you should be rewarded from some, some economics perspective as well. And that's the power we are bringing here with, with this whole new paradigm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bro. I love all this. And the next thing I went to, to jump into a little bit is kind of similar to where we just were, but what are some of your biggest predictions? And then we touched on down, we touched on NFTs. What are some of your like bold, broad predictions on 
crypto, NFTs, fintech as a whole adoption. Um, do you think that, you know, we're going to stop using the US dollar and start using maybe a stable coin instead? Um, do you think you're going to attempt some predictions along those lines? Yeah. So uh, I think, first of all, DeFi will grow to. So today, DeFi is about $100 billion market. Uh, it will grow to a trillion to $10 trillion. The range is pretty big because it depends on how regulations plays out, uh, how the adoption plays out within the next two to five years. So my, my biggest bet will be like, it will be a $10 trillion industry that the DeFi itself within the next five years. Similarly, 10% of devs or, or like the, the blue collar workers will be working for DAOs in the next 10 years. And third prediction will be like, probably one of the cryptocurrency will become the most used currency for the world than, than compared to US dollar. Samir? Yeah. Yeah, Ro, that I, I want to say, I think all those predictions, I think are going to come true. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. Um, we're going to see so much more adoption for different uh, applications of DeFi and cryptocurrencies in the next in the next um, few few years. I think it's going to be an extremely exciting time. I I, I really think like this is a it's a new internet. This is a new wave. And DeFi is going faster than the internet did when it, it first founded. And so um, I am really excited to see many new applications of DeFi, things that we haven't even thought of yet. I develop and form these next next two years, um, and so so yeah. I don't have any specific number values on on where I think the the uh, the industry is going to be at a certain time, but I I will say I am uh, definitely banking on more applications at DeFi um, forming and and becoming more widespread. I absolutely agree with a lot of that. Um, I'm very interested on on what you said with uh, replacing the U.S. dollar. I think that's where it's going to get interesting because I know the U.S. government doesn't, either the options of that happening are the U.S. government just saying, nope, that's not happening. And then crypto, as it goes away, you can't necessarily get rid of crypto. Um, but them sort of fighting back with regulations to protect the U.S. dollar or B, uh, the U.S. government pretty much just having to accept it. As in, they're like, well, I guess, uh, I guess we just have to now use Dogecoin, or not Dogecoin, but use, uh, you know, some, I'd assume being a stable coin of some kind, um, instead of the U S dollar, you know, it's an interesting world that we're living in. Exactly. And I think like many of the governments are already holding or planning to hold these cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin and Ethereum in their treasury. Uh, and we are going to see a lot of countries which right now depend on some other currencies, which are not their native currencies. Like for an example, many Latin American countries uh, kind of depend on USD and we saw El Salvador kind of getting away from that. So many other such countries are now figuring out like how they can do the same. So we will see the next wave. There will be 10 such countries who will be adopting Bitcoin as, as a medium of payment. And then when you see those 10 countries, then, then the next set of 20 countries start following the same direction. Same thing is happening with institutions as well, like Tesla um, and, and all these companies are like in the first few set of companies who have figured out how 
we can hold Bitcoin in our treasury. Because of that, now there are next set of like 10x number of companies who are right now trying to figure out the regulatory hurdles uh, and the operation hurdles, how we can also hold cryptocurrencies in our treasury. So that that is going to like accelerate the same movement a lot within the next 6 to 12 months. It's, I mean, like I was looking at Burst and, and it looked pretty cool and uh, it kind of looked exactly like what will be very composable with what we are trying to build at Mesh. So we should definitely talk on that as well. Yeah, yeah, happy to, happy to. Let's, uh, let's set something up. I wanted to ask also for if anyone in the audience does have any questions, don't hesitate to raise your hand for the last 15 minutes or so. Um, or maybe you have a question, or idea, uh, all related around FinTech, crypto, NFTs. Uh, don't hesitate to raise your hand and come on up. I won't bite, I promise. Or if you don't want to talk, you're welcome to shoot your DM and I can ask your question up here on stage. Um, then I wanted to ask, kind of, since you guys are both founders uh, and have worked on a ton of different projects, what is a piece of advice that you would have given yourself when you had first started uh, your your startup? Yeah, so this one is a tough one because like in retrospective, uh, you can always think about something. So for me personally, I think it was about looking at a bigger picture. Like for a long period of time, I struggled with the storytelling part. And I think that is one of the most important job of a founder when, uh, when, when you are building a company. Uh, so that, that's a piece of advice I'll give to myself, like work on the story more than what you have worked till now. I think, uh, for, for me, I think one of the parts was definitely, uh, the, the storytelling part. I think one of the, the big things we've learned is you've got, got to really pitch this kind of big $10 billion company, company story everywhere you go and to, to all that you talk to, especially investors and, and new hires. I think, um, for me, I, I wish I would have got in the DeFi crypto space a little bit sooner where I had kind of traded before, didn't really spend the time to learn about this kind of whole new space that's, uh, that's rapidly evolving. And um, I think what it was in the beginning was really just like a psychological barrier where I, I was in the fintech space that I, you know, to me, um, DeFi originally seemed and crypto seemed a little bit more on the spammy side until I really got in the weeds and started learning about it, reading these white papers and understanding the technology. And that really kind of opened my mind to, to this whole new, uh, this whole new uh, world that I think is starting to form around this whole new ecosystem. And so I think the word of advice is to just try different things and definitely have an open mind about new ideas and people in the industries. Um, we, my co-founders and I, we started building actually a texting startup uh, together and for somehow we evolved into this kind of into this crypto DeFi space. And so uh, it's a lot of twists and turns being a, being a founder. And so gotta be, gotta be ready for that. Um, but just start, I would say just got to start and, and, and the rest is kind of history. I a hundred percent agree when you were saying that there was like kind of this scam. I think there's a lot of like, I, that's what kind of kills me sometimes with crypto and more, honestly, more specifically NFTs, um, especially with what you guys probably recently saw with, I think it was OpenSea, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, that had in technically insider trading, uh, where their head of product was buying NFTs before that they were listed on the homepage because he knew that the price would skyrocket when they listed on the homepage. Um, and there's always like, you know, pump and dumps within like shitcoin 
and meme coins and things like that. So there is their type of fair trade of worry. But um, like you were saying, actually reading to the white papers. And if you could kind of touch on what that process looks like, like when you find a DeFi crypto project and you read into the white paper, what what are you looking for that gives it authenticity? Sammy Boyd. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so like you really, I don't really have a specific process. I think um, usually what happens is um, me browsing Twitter or some some Discord server, and I see uh, the name of a specific uh, company, a, a protocol, just pop up uh, more often than not, and it and that kind of spikes the curiosity um, and really do two things. Like I think one, reading through the white paper and questions. Another thing is looking at the community, looking to see how strong it is on Twitter, on their Discord, um, seeing you know who's who's part of the community, who's who's leading it. I think the team. And, and the community gives gives it authenticity. Um, I think um, that's the biggest thing. And if I don't see much of that, like that's, I think, one of the biggest red flags. Um, but uh, yeah, Rohit, uh, uh, looking forward to hearing your, your thoughts on this as well. I think you covered it pretty well. Like this is how I also think about it. Like I'll, I'll just double down on community. Like community is the best uh, friend you can look at. So I'll just jump into the Discord. Uh, and, and try to look like what people are talking about, why people are excited about this. Then the second thing I try to uh, look for is like, where does this position itself into the future? Like how they are changing the future of, of finance or, or, or in general for humanity. And these are the two points uh, I generally value when whenever I'm looking at a crypto project. Definitely community is huge. Uh, or I can attest to that as our kind of community. It's an absolute blast. Um, and that's one of the big things I've heard from a lot of creators too, is going into discord servers and making sure that there's a level of authenticity that people are actually excited. Um, especially whenever it comes to NFT projects, um, mainly because those types of projects have lots of like really, really excited people. And it's such an interesting world. Like I'm seeing so many people's profile pictures now changing to boarded yacht club or uh, just random NFTs that I'd never even heard of. Um, so I 100% agree with that. And then the last thing I would say, um, and also another thing I want to ask is whenever it comes to, there's a question I got from somebody in the DMs, is whenever it comes to retail investing. So I'm sure that you guys, I know Samir, you dabbled saying that you dabbled in trading. Uh, what kind of advice would you give to someone who might just be getting into investing crypto um what kind of advice would you give to them would you say like buy and hold bitcoin ethereum that's low-key my dollar cost average is my go-to strategy not financial advice but that's kind of my my uh my thing uh what kind of advice would you give people who say i want to start investing in crypto where do i start what do i do yeah so personally like i i just uh invest some capital every month so dollar cost averaging is the best strategy and this is coming from me who is running a quant trading firm and still i say like that's the best strategy for most people uh when choosing the currencies where you want to invest in again i'll i'll recommend for most people they can just invest invest in bitcoin and ethereum until unless they are ready to put some effort some time into understanding the rest of the protocols 
then I, I can recommend like looking at different protocols. Uh, again, you can invest via some of the indices. So like DeFi Pulse is one of the indices which gives you exposure to the whole DeFi market and there might be other indices like that as well. So indices uh, are the best option to go for if, if you are looking to ex expose yourself to more cryptocurrencies. Yeah, and then and then for me, I think I uh, I am not going to sell, I think <laughs> Uh, I don't know what I am. I'm a long-term investor. I like to think of myself as a coin collector. And so um, just kind of collecting uh, different, different uh, cryptocurrencies for, for the long run. But uh, yeah, pretty much also uh, DCA, dollar cost average into it. Whenever the market dips, I'll tend to just put a little bit more money in. Um, so yeah, but just investing for the long-term. I think you can't go wrong with, with, that, uh, with that idea. It ETH is the currency for you, Samir. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. That's funny because I was actually going to ask both of you. Um, there was a lot of, I would say, uh, arguments over Cardano versus Ethereum. Um, and now I've seen Solana jump to $200 from, what was it, like $50? It's like 400x almost. Please don't quote me on that. I can pull it up. But Solana has just gone to the moon. Can you guys kind of touch on what the differences are between those three, if you do have that uh, expertise? Yeah, definitely. So uh, this is my personal opinion. Obviously, like this is not a financial advice or anything like that. But personally, like the whole space is about decentralization. It, it is about going away from the old systems, coming into the new systems. And I see most of these projects are VC backed. Like those are the people who control majority of the token concentration. For an example, if, if you have large amount of tokens, then you can make, you have the bet, higher decision-making power, first of all. Second factor is like, when we think about the ethos of decentralization, that means that it should be feasible to run a node from your home. In, in most of these uh, other chains, you and an average person cannot run a node from their home computer or from, from their home. Like they have to buy specific devices, which will be expensive. So that itself make it more centralized from the mining perspective. Having said that, I don't say that they are not going to be useful. Probably they will be useful in a way that the maximum value will occur at the most decentralized system. Let's say today, I, I personally think that's Ethereum. Uh, maybe it will be something else tomorrow. But today, I think Ethereum is the most distributed, most decentralized. So that's where maximum value will occur. Then for the short value transaction, so let's say if you hold a million dollars, probably you are going to keep 900K into Ethereum and then you will use 100K into a chain like Solana for micro transaction or smaller transaction where you want to pay less guest fee. Got it, got it. Samir? So, no, so not even so you're just like no on Cardano real quick though. Cardano is even in the picture from that million dollar portfolio. Uh, so personally, like I haven't picked a lot into Cardano. Uh, like right now, it's going over the same hype cycle, which is like the promises that it will create these things. And personally, like I got away from that phase in the last ICO phase in 2017, where like everyone was just talking about the promise. So. Now I try to look for what is actually live there. 
having said that, I think uh, I, I used to watch uh, Charles Hodgkinson's videos back then and he seemed like a same person to me, like whatever he was talking made sense. Having said that, I haven't digged around the tech behind Cardano. So, so can't comment on that. Got it. Are you loud and clear? Samir? Yeah, yes, yeah, same here. Haven't really delved too much into to Cardano. Um, and so probably not the best to, to speak on that point. But on the general uh, investing, any advice for retail investors? Long term dollar cost? Yeah, and then you touched on dollar cost. And, 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 long, and long term, probably your best bet. And then big on Ethereum game? Yeah, yeah, uh, Bull bullish on on the on the on uh, Ethereum. I think like well, when one philosophical way to think about it is like invest in something where you can invest every month for the next two years. Don't invest in something where you are trying to exit in within the next couple of months. So that will give you some perspective because if you are going to commit to investing in into something for the next twenty four months then you'll actually try to see like who is, what is going to be the future in the next five years. Mm, that's, that's a good way of thinking. And then I also brought up, uh, Jesus up on stage. Um, I think he's got a question before we wrap up Jesus. Yeah. What's up everybody. How's it be doing? Doing good. Right on. Right on. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, so I got a question. So any advice on passive income? Uh, maybe through the exchanges or maybe even mining. What's your guys' take on that? And, you know, do you have any advice for passive income on crypto? Thank you. Yeah, definitely. And I think both Samir and me are building products for that. So if you hold uh, any crypto asset, so first of all, what you can do is you can put it on lending and you can earn passive interest. Uh, you can do the same for stable coins as well, which is basically dollar-packed cryptocurrencies and on stable coins today you can get anywhere from 5% to 20% annual yield depending on how much risk you are willing to take which is probably 100x better compa compared to like your Wells Fargo or Silicon Valley Bank. Nice, thank you. Uh, my other question is any thoughts on XRP, the banker's coin? What is your thoughts on that? Um, any advice, long-term vision? Um, yeah, would like to hear what you guys have to say about that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not too familiar, so I'll, I'll probably let uh, Revit say if, if he has any thoughts. Yeah, it, it again goes against the philosophy of decentralization, so I, I'll personally avoid XRP. Got you, got you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, I know XRP had a little bit of a, I don't know what you call it, a little speed bump. Uh, being taken off uh, Coinbase and a few other things for uh, a laundry list of reasons. Uh, I did invest personally and make some money and I ended up selling for profit before that all happened. I didn't really make much. I threw like 20 bucks and then made another 20. Uh, so that's my, my little experience with XRP. But to wrap things up, um, I wanted to thank Samir and Rohit for popping hang out with the rest of you guys for an hour. Make sure to shoot them a connection request here on Entree Games Tapper in the profile. I also put out a post while the event was going on and I asked, what is your biggest prediction in crypto DeFi? Uh, so definitely make sure to throw a comment on that, whatever thoughts you guys have. 
And if you had learned anything really cool, uh, make sure to create a post, share what you're doing, share what you're building, especially if you're new here and check out our upcoming events. So super excited. Thank you so much, Sabir and Rohit. Um, don't hesitate to reach out if you guys need it and don't let me forget about making those introductions for those influencers. Um, I'm happy to make some introductions. So thank you guys so much. Any, any last words or wise words of wisdom for people to leave off with? Yeah. Thanks so much everyone for joining. Um, happy to connect after the event on Twitter, as well as here on Entre. Um, my handle is at Samiras Kapoor and, uh, check out first joinverse.com would love to have everyone try out the product. Um, so yeah, thanks everyone. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for hosting this Ryan. Uh, it was real fun. I'm reachable on Twitter as well at I M R Goyal. Amazing. Really appreciate you guys taking the time and dropping some absolute knowledge. Um, so yeah, I'll probably take you up on that. Cause I definitely want to, I know you're onboarding some people definitely want to see if I can take a look and love. I'm my, one of my favorite things about being really tapped to the Gen Z tech community is, uh, hanging out and seeing products and learning from early stage founders. So if there's any way I can support, definitely let me know. Yeah. hundred percent. We'd love to have you in our, in our alpha. Absolutely. Amazing. Alrighty, gentlemen, uh, um, really appreciate you guys taking the time and everyone else who popped in. Uh, I see Arnold just popped in the parade while we're wrapping up. What's going on, man? Uh, really incredible crew. Thank you guys so much. And I'm happy to chat any other time. And thank you. So I got to close out the bring. Everyone enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Uh, time to get back to building businesses. I know Robit, it's probably like 1030 for you or something. So it's probably get earned for bedtime. Uh, but really appreciate you taking the time to uh, uh, jump on with us. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Sunny. It was pretty fun. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Gen Z Talks. Make sure to connect with me and thousands of other entrepreneurs, investors, and creators over at joinentre.com. Or you can download our mobile app for both iOS and Android. Also, don't forget to follow us on social at joinentre.com.